Thank you, Kyle. What an honor it is to be here. Appreciate the introduction, Kyle. The one piece of mail that Eugene Peterson says he never opens is a piece of mail that says the busy preacher or the busy pastor. And uh, I don't like being busy. I want to be productive. And I want our time together to be productive. Chase, thank you for leading us in that, those songs this morning. And Mike, thank you for leading this. And elders, thank you for the privilege it is to be here. So it's, uh, it's 9.20. And uh, if we're going to have three sessions, that means you're going to hear me for a total of about, uh, about 120 minutes or so today. And uh, I know that got you all excited. What, what did you do wrong? You didn't get on the list to cook barbecue early enough, right? And, uh, you know, I, I just kind of, I'm sorry that you have to hear me for that many times, but I'll just let you know in the last seven days, or last eight days, I've had to drive through Atlanta five times. So you may think you're having a rough life, but uh, man, what a, what a life. Uh, it is a joy to be here. Men's Day, aren't they neat? Uh, we started Men's Days because women started Women's Days and men thought they should have a day. And I noticed when we got here today that uh, there were no uh, lovely uh, uh, flowers or, or, or table ornaments and and numbers on the bottom where you get to take them home. There were paper towels on the table. So if you want to take home all the paper towels today, good luck on that. And also notice that uh, Men's Day and Women's Days are different because women can do things at their days that we can't. They give away door prizes. Door prizes. Y'all know that? They give away door prizes and some pretty decent ones too. Uh, what are the door prizes today? Anybody who's in charge of door prizes? If we start to give away door prizes, people call us liberal. You, you, can't, give, you can't give away door prizes. Women do that, though, and they get away with it. Well, it is an honor to be with you today. Um, where are you, Chase? I'm, I'm going to use you in a second, if you don't mind, okay? The year was uh, 1762. I told this last weekend, uh, so I'm going to start with it today. And uh, Charles Wesley was in his dorm room, reading a commentary by Matthew Henry on the book of Leviticus. It was a Friday night. Now just to poll the audience real quick, how many of you have read a commentary on Leviticus on a Friday night in your life? Uh, and he came across a quote from Leviticus chapter 18. And he wrote these words, A charge to keep have I, a God to glorify, a never-ending soul to save and fit it for the sky. And uh, it's number three in your songbook. Chase, can you lead on demand? Number three in the songbook. You can lead it, Ben, if he can't lead it. Are you trying to usurp him? I gave him the chance first. I didn't ask for volunteer song leaders or anything today. <laughs> All right, number three. Can we put it on the screen real quick? We have to go old school and use the songbook. Turn my mic off because you don't want to hear me sing, okay? <laughs> Number three, let's just go for it, old style. Number three. A charge to keep I have, a God to
think about men, I think about that song. See, John Etheridge in his classic book, Epic, said that men were made for a reason. That ultimate reason is to glorify God. But part of that reason we exist is to, to lead. And many of you do not feel like leaders, but you lead somewhere in your life if you're a man and if you're the man God wants you to be. And so we want to figure out how to be the best we can be in the area of leadership we have. We want to use our influence the very best way we can in the time that we have. And I know something about many of you, especially those of you who are my age or older, you'd like for your life to be used by God. You'd like for God to do something epic with your life. You'd like for God to do something great with your life. But for many of us, at some point in life, there was a, there was a turn where we began to feel very average and very ineffective. And we sometimes now wonder, has God used me for anything great? And could God use me for something great? I've made many mistakes. I've had a lot of failures. I've done some things I'm not proud of. I'm not where I want to be. And so can God use me in spite of that? If God was looking around for a man to use, would he ever choose me? And what I want to tell you today is that God does his very best work with ordinary people. If you have a Bible today, we're going to spend most of our time in the book of Judges, believe it or not. That weird period of time where you know that text already. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. We're going to start in Judges chapter 6. So turn to Judges 6. And today we're going to look at a man who goes from being a, a coward to a champion. From a loser to a leader. From a nobody to a man that no one did not know who he was. He became a national hero. A marvelous man. But he's an ordinary man. There's nothing really spectacular about him. In fact, when we find our guy Gideon, you know Gideon, don't you? He's not the guy that puts the Bibles in hotel rooms. This is another Gideon. Gideon comes along, and he comes along in a period of time. What was the second song we sang today? There was a verse in there, the second verse. I don't remember the words, but I think about that. I thought about that verse as we were singing. It was a time of national crisis. 135,000 Midianites had surrounded the Israelites. And they're coming in to take the country over yet again. They had not fulfilled God's ultimate mission of giving that land to them by them doing their part. God does His part, we do our part. By, by doing their part and going in and conquering the land, they left people in the land. And the Midianites are some of the people they had not gotten rid of. And as a result, there's problems in their life. And when we meet our guy Gideon, he is in a cave threshing wheat. Someone read out loud, if you will, someone with a good, strong voice. Read out loud verse 12. Verse 11, the Lord appears to Gideon. Verse 12. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. 
I have a friend, Andy Kaiser, who preaches in uh, central Alabama, who says that anytime you see that phrase, the angel of the Lord, he believes that is the Lord himself. I don't know that I fully concur with him, but I think he has a, a, a good point to go toward. So the Lord appears to him either by proxy or by directly and says, The Lord is with you, O mighty, mighty man of valor. Now when we meet Gideon, what did I tell, where did I tell you he was? In a cave. And what, he's do, what is he doing? Threshing wheat. Hiding. Now, I, I'm going to guess this is not, there's not going to be anyone in here that's done this, but it's possible there is. Has anyone here ever threshed wheat before? Anybody? All right. So we've got a bunch of novice wheat threshers here. So wheat, it's not at all like corn, but I think of it like corn because it has an, an outer hull, okay? And you have to get that, that, that grass off of it, you know, in order to get to the corn. In order to get to the meat of wheat, it's got, a, it's got some chaff over it. It's got an outside shell over it. And the way you would thresh wheat is, you would go somewhere... And you would take a stalk of wheat and you would beat it on the ground and, the, and it would loosen that outer hull and then you would throw it through the air, hold it and throw it through the air and that, that chaff would blow away and you'd beat it on the other side of the ground and some of the kernel, some of the, the wheat actually would come out. Now, I told you it was in a cave, but actually at, when he's threshing the wheat, where is he? Anybody see that already? He's in a, a wine press. He's in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, a wine press is dug out. Okay? It's not where you thresh wheat. And he's scared. He's trying to get some wheat to take care of, of his family, who we'll talk about in just a little while. He's in the worst place in the world because he's afraid. And the Lord appears to him and says, what is it? Say it with me. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And I want you to notice Gideon's reaction. But before we do that, what I want to tell you is that when God determines to use a person, there's a process through which he goes. There are three or four things that happen. Number one, when the Lord determines to use someone, there is a time of affirmation. A period of affirmation. Uh, no doubt when the Lord appeared to Gideon, Gideon's reaction basically is, Lord, who, me? I'm Gideon the chicken-hearted. I'm not Gideon the brave. I'm Gideon who's afraid for my family. I am the most unlikely person you will ever use. When the Lord determines to use a person, He affirms them. He encourages them. And the Lord wants you to have a different view of you than you have. Some of you come to Exposure Youth Camp and have been there with uh, 3,000, 2,700 this year young people. Some of you have been to CYC. One, somebody told me that a few minutes ago. This year we had 11,500 young people in that crowd. Next year we're hoping for 15,000 young people. My dream is to build it to 24,000 young people coming together. Think about that. And I have a unique role there. I get to emcee it. That doesn't mean much. I'm a monkey with a microphone. It doesn't make me anything special. But the fact is, I get to stand in front 
of 10 to 15,000 young people. And I get chills and get a little nervous and start shaking a whole lot when I think about that, not because I'm afraid, but because I sit there, I stand there thinking, man, what could the Lord do with 10 to 15,000 young lives totally committed to Him? And if I could get one thing across other than the gospel to those young people, it would be, what could the Lord do with your life? What could the Lord do with that group of young people? The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And immediately in verse 13, Gideon starts making excuses. Who? Me? You've got to be kidding. He's protesting. I'm not a mighty man of valor. And he mentions three excuses starting in verse 15. First he says, you've got the wrong village. You've got the wrong town. Where was Gideon from? He was from a little town called Ophrah. That's not Oprah. Ophrah. Even the name sounds bad. That's like starting a national campaign from Plains, Georgia, okay? Nobody ever heard of it before Carter came along, right? Nobody ever heard of Ophrah. It's the tiniest village in the area. The word Ophrah, if you've got a, a, an asterisk beside it in your Bible, or if you have a, a Bible helps, it'll tell you, the, main, the name of Ophrah is a place of dustiness. <laughs> what a place to be from, a place of dustiness. I used to preach in a little town called Eva, Alabama. 300 people lived in Eva. And the men of the church, didn't have elders, the men of the church told me when we first got there, he said, now if anybody ever comes to the office and says they were passing through town and they ran out of gas or they ran out of money, they're lying. No one passes through here. That's Ophrah. No one just passed through Ophrah. It was a little bitty place. It was, a, it was a no place. You've got the wrong village. Number two, you've got the wrong family. I'm from the poorest family in my entire tribe. We're weak. You want me to fight 135,000 Midianites and I'm from the weakest family. And on top of that, I'm the runt of the litter. I'm the youngest in my family. Third, you, you, why would you ever pick me? I'm the runt of the litter. God often uses the most unlikely person from the poorest family, the bottom of a wine press, hiding out in a cave. And God says, you're a mighty man of valor. And God's reaction to, to Gideon is basically verse 14. I'm paraphrasing a whole lot here. It'll be a cinch. You'll have no problem because I am with you. I'm sending you. I'm going to be with you. You cannot fail. I always think of Romans chapter 8. I think it's verse 31 that says, If God is for us, who can be against us? God plus one always equals a majority. So, starts with affirmation. Number two, God's... Well, before we go to that, I think of Philippians chapter 3. I don't have my verse down, but it's around verse 12. And the, the verse basically says that, that God can use every person who will allow them to be used. Of course, chapter 4 is where he says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God can use you but it starts with an encouragement. God says to you, I can use you if you'll allow yourself to be used. We're going to talk about that in the third lesson 
But number two, you have God's revelation. God's revelation. Gideon has an encounter with God. The fact of the matter is that when God wants to use me, He wants to encounter me. You know, life is built on relationships. And there are a lot of Christians who believe that Christianity is only a set of rules and laws and regulations and check marks. Now, please do not mishear me. There are rules and regulations and check marks. There are things God expects of us. But the reason that God came to earth was because He wants a relationship with man. All through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, I will be their God and they will be my people. God wants a relationship with us. So Gideon says, God says, Gideon, I want to use you. And Gideon says, I'm not ready. Gideon tests God. And I think it's verse 17. It's an interesting idea. God waits on Gideon. God waits. Imagine that. The God of the universe waiting on a man. The God of the universe wanting to use a person. The person says, I'm not quite ready. And so Gideon comes along and Gideon says, I want to put some tests out there. And so Gideon, said, uh, Gideon prepares this great meal at, at some expense in all likelihood. And, and it's supernaturally consumed. And Gideon says, I think maybe this is God. And he realizes he's talking to God. In verse 22, look at it, verse 22, Gideon makes an altar to God. In the Old Testament, anytime you see someone making an altar, it denotes a commitment to God. We have altars in our life of commitments we make. I have a ring that I wear. It doesn't matter if I'm in Beaufort, Georgia, or in Wuhan, China, or in Nepropetrovsk, Ukraine. This altar reminds me I made a commitment to someone else. Many of you wear something similar. Every Sunday we come together and part of our communion with Christ is a reminder of that commitment that we made that we believe He is the Son of God. There are commitments in our life. They had commitments. And Gideon names the altar. Anybody see what Gideon named the altar? Jehovah Shalom. Yahweh Shalom. I don't speak Hebrew. But the word shalom, I know, and you know it as well, right? It means peace, right? The Lord is peace. Jehovah is peace. Now, do any of you see the irony in what's going on here? 135,000 angry Midianites ready to come in and bring war, rain down war on these people. In the midst of conflict, Gideon has peace. Have you experienced that before in your life? The test came back positive instead of negative. And so there's chemotherapy. And everyone else may be scattering and questioning and challenging, but you have peace. Because why? You have the Lord in your life. Paul will come along years later and call it a peace that passes understanding. The Lord is peace. A natural consequence of our commitment to God is peace. And Gideon, who had not in all likelihood experienced peace before, he's been in fear, suddenly Gideon feels at peace. No matter the circumstances going on in your life, 
today and tomorrow and next week when you go to work and the challenge of, will I have a job, will I not have a job? And, and my, oh my, what's coming next, right? The last two years have taught us anything. It's taught us we don't know what's coming next, right? I mean, national pandemic followed by an unbelievable uh, surge in violence because of race relations, followed by potential third world war. I don't follow politics, so I don't know what's coming out of it, but I hear that every once in a while. Followed by supply chain problems where you can't get stuff that you need. Followed by, again, we don't know what's coming next. And in the midst of all that, I don't know how your life might be falling apart today. But Gideon has internal peace. Before you're ready to fight an external battle, you have to have internal peace. God says, I am with you, you can do it. Second, God says, I'm here and I'm going to help you. And the third phase of this use of God by, of a person is Gideon's confrontation. So you have affirmation, revelation, and third, confirmation. Gideon's confirmation. God gave Gideon a test. Before God can ever use you in an amazing way, He'll give you a test. The test is in verse 25. He says, I want you to go and tear down that, that Ashereth pole. And the pole, incidentally, was in Gideon's backyard. It was in his family property. So the Israelites had turned from God. You know, it's that cycle that the judges go through that you've heard about all your life. And they're in that cycle where they turn from God. And they're trying to worship God and idols at this time in their history. Go tear down that pole. The word Ashereth literally means another God. Another God. A God before the God of heaven. Gideon is not much after Moses. And that was the first commandment. But I would remind you it's still our first commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the question is, who is the bell in your backyard? Who is the idol in your life? Now look at the test. Number one, it may be a spiritual test. The question of who will be first in your life? Who's number one in your life? What is most important in your life? If God is not number one in your life, you will never be effective for God. Second, it may be an emotional test. Again, notice this is his family idol. This is his father's altar. And he goes and tears it down. He does it at night. Perhaps he's afraid of what will happen. He's making a break with his family tradition. Have you ever limited your Christian life because of what other people might think? I know when I was younger, I did sometimes. I wouldn't say what I thought needed to be said for God because of what people around me might think. You ever done that? That's the challenge here. You ever find yourself limiting yourself? It's his dad's idol, and he goes and he smashes it. God says to Gideon, before you can go out and take on the world, you've got to take care of things at home. Men, listen. Listen carefully. If you are not a Christian at home, you are not a Christian at all. If you're not a Christian at home, you're not one at all. My cousin David is here today. And uh, we buried my dad 11 years ago. And the one thing I could say about dad that I'm most proud of is 
He was the same man at home that he was when he was in the pulpit every Sunday. Can your children say that about you? So I'll tell you a couple of stories to set up another story, okay? Because when, when it's 9.45 in the morning on a Saturday morning, uh, you're not used to sitting this long hearing somebody talk. So I'm going to a funeral story. But I want to tell you a couple other funeral stories to get to that one, just as a mental break for you, okay? You mind if I do that, give you a mental break from the sermon real quick? Here's a mental break. In Nashville, there's a funeral home, the Woodlawn Funeral Home. Woodlawn is uh, where a lot of the country music stars are buried. Uh, for me, it's more important because a lot of the, the, the gospel preachers in the Nashville area are buried at, at Woodlawn Cemetery. You can just go through the list of famous preachers that I've known through the years who have passed away, and many of them are buried at that place. Well, Woodlawn came along, they decided they're going to remodel their funeral home. So they, it was an old funeral home. It needed some work. So they went in and they took the pews out, put in chairs. They, they, the walls were that panel dark color, and they, they lightened them up, made them, made them bright, put in new lights, put in a video system, a new sound system. The sound system had a five-disc CD changer in it. They got it all ready to open up, and they got ready to open up, and they, the first family that came said, uh, we want to use your CD player. We have a our, our grandmom's favorite song was Somewhere Over the Rainbow. We'd like for it to be played. So at the funeral, they played Somewhere Over the Rainbow. About two or three days later, a family came in, and the granddaughter was supposed to play and sing, play her guitar and sing a song at the funeral. And she said, uh, I just can't do it. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm afraid I'll lose it up there in front of the audience. So the night before, they recorded it and put it on a CD and brought it to the funeral home. And they said, would you play this? So the guy went back to put it in. There was a disc in disc one. He put it in disc two. When it came time for the song, the guy running the sound system, different the guy that put the CD in, he went back. There was a disc in disc one. The song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, was from the movie, the soundtrack of the movie, The Wizard of Oz. And song one on that disc, he pushed because he played the first song on disc one. Song one is, yeah, Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead, <clears throat> sung by the Munchkins. I don't know what they do for you at a funeral, you know. When you, when you a good friend of mine, Bill McDonald, owns several funeral homes in Middle Tennessee. Some of you might know Bill. He's a great guy, an elder in the church. And uh, Bill's dad was also ran, a, ran the funeral home before he gave it to his son, who's now given it to his son. But Bill's dad was in his, his 90s. He was probably, if he was five foot tall, that was saying a lot for him. He was in his 90s, and it was a rainy day, and they had the, the graveside service. And any of you work in the funeral home business? Any of you ever worked in the funeral home business? I, I don't know. Maybe you can explain it to me. But have you ever noticed that before the, the, the service when the service is over at the graveside that the funeral home director always reaches in his pocket, pulls out a handkerchief. You've seen it, haven't you? Walks over to the casket and kind of dusts it off. I've always thought that weird because they're going to take it and put it in the ground and throw dirt on top of it, but they always do that. Well, Mr. McDonald, 90 plus years old, goes over, pulls his handkerchief off, dusts it off. It's a rainy day. He slips, slides, falls down into the grave, six foot down. He's five foot tall, okay? Quick as a lightning, he pulls himself up, jumps out, and says, let her down, boys, everything's fine down there. 
funeral stories. Kind of interesting, aren't they? So you got Gideon here, and God's revelation, and now God's confrontation. And finally, you have this spiritual, this physical test. It's a risky matter. God may test you physically. You've got to go out and you've got to tear down this pole. Verse 28, he could literally lose his life. If you get serious about serving God, you can expect from some confrontation. The devil is not going to let you go easy. If you don't face temptation in your life, it's because in all likelihood the devil already has you. Paul wrote it this way, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If everything's going along swimmingly in your life, maybe it's because Satan's not having to do anything against you to try to get you back. And if things are going rough in your life, it may be a sign that God is ready to use you. Verse 31, a, a crowd, a, a, a mob comes along who tore down the idol. Joash, that's Gideon's dad, replied to the crowd, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you going to try to save him? If Baal is really a god, he can defend himself. Now here's what's kind of neat. Gideon's dad comes to his defense. I like that. You will be shocked sometimes when you stand up and do what you know to be right, that other people who you don't expect will come to your defense. Courage is contagious. Fourth, Final point, you have Gideon's transformation. Verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Literally, the Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. God plus one, as we said earlier, always equals a majority. Gideon responded correctly. So now we get to the meat of the story, chapter 6 and 7. Notice there are three chapters devoted to this guy named Gideon. Chapter 6 and 7 comes along, and you know the story. Gideon says, all right, everybody rally. We're going to beat the Midianites. And 32,000 people show up. This guy that not long before had been hiding in a cave is now rallying the troops. Unless you think that's a small thing, do you think you could get 32,000 people to follow you into battle? Now, but I'm, I'm not real great at math. 140,000 versus 32,000 still isn't very good odds, is it? So God looks at Gideon and says, Gideon, you don't have enough people. You need to go out and get a few more if you're going to win this battle, right? That's not what happens. You know the story already, right? God says, Gideon, that's too many people. Take them down the brook, have them drink. Those that get down and sap up, slip up their water with both hands, lay down on their belly or get on their knees and start lifting up the water. He said, tell those folks, no, I'm sorry, I'm ahead of the story. He first says, tell everybody who's afraid to go home. And 22,000 people were honest and went home. That left 10,000, 140,000 versus 10,000. And Gideon said, all right, Lord, now, you know, this isn't looking too good. And God says, yeah, you're right, you still got too many people. Now take them down the brook and have them drink. Those that drink with both hands, send them home. And when it's all said and done, suddenly Gideon doesn't have 32,000 or 10,000. Gideon has 300 men. 
300 men versus 135,000 people. Now, anybody really good at math? 300 versus 135,000, what are the odds? I'm not that great at math, but if I was told correctly, that means each Israelite would be responsible for 450 Midianites. 450 to 1. Those aren't very good odds. God says, get in, get out your pen and pencil. Again, I'm paraphrasing. Get out your pen and pencil. You need to write down a list of what you're going to carry into battle. All right, God, what do you do? When I've talked about getting into teenagers, I do it this way. And I'm going to do it with you as men today just to give you a chance to talk a little bit. If you are going to war, if you're going to go to war, what do you want? What's your shopping list? What do you want? Yeah, today. Drones, okay. Yes, sir. A weapon protection and food. Good job, all right? What kind of weapons you want? You want drones, okay. What else you want? Bombs. The Ukrainian president begging, right? Begging. Send us stuff. Send us stuff. So God says, get in, get your list ready. First of all, tell everybody to get a trumpet. Trumpet. Are we equipping an army or a marching band, right? But your God, write it down, trumpet. One standard army issue trumpet. All right, what else do you need? Get everybody a clay pot. Clay pot. All right, well, yes, you're Lord, so clay pot. Check, got it. Let's get to the real stuff. Gideon, tell everybody to get a torch. Ah, a torch. We're going to burn them out. Get everybody a torch. 300 torches. And then God says, Gideon, here's what you're going to do. You're going to surround the Midianite camp while they're asleep in the middle of the night. When I give you the word, you shout out, for the Lord and for Gideon. And when you do that, everybody blow their trumpet really loud, take their torches, put them under the pot, break the pots, and the Midianites will wake up in the middle of the night and they'll think they're surrounded by thousands and they will start fighting each other and they'll kill each other and everybody and they'll run away. Just a few men will look like thousands. And that's what happened. And Gideon gave the shout and they cried out and blew the trumpet and shouted and broke the pots and the light shone out and the Midianites woke up and in their pajamas and underwear, pulling out their swords, began to fight each other. And over 100,000 soldiers were killed that day and the rest turned tail and ran. And the Israelites just stood there and watched. One guy said it was psychological warfare at its best. And Gideon becomes a national hero. Someone who a few weeks before was afraid of his own shadow. He said, I don't think God could use me. I bet you Gideon would have said the same thing. Where are you in this process? God's affirmation, you can be more than you are. God's revelation, God speaks to us today through His Word and tells us what He expects us as men to be. Confrontation, you're in the middle of making that commitment to God and there's trouble and trial in your life. Are you ready for stage four, the transformation? Are you ready to fight the powers against of evil in this world and ready to do something great for God? God can use you.
We'll come back next session and we'll continue this. Uh, let's pray and we'll be dismissed for a couple of minutes. Father, thank you for Gideon and this marvelous story that thrills our heart and makes us believe and see that you can use us. And I pray, Father, that someone here today has been stirred to realize that God can use them for great things. And that whether in their workplace or in their own family or here in the church or wherever it is in this world, that they can do great things if they will but give their life totally to you. In Jesus' name we pray.